Father in heaven, we know that all power belongs to you. You're sovereign. Everything in this universe is in your charge and under your control. Father, I sense this morning that people come into this place bringing pain, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, debt, divorce, death. And in the name of Jesus, you told us, be of good cheer, for in this world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so this morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we declare that we are overcomers in your name. We declare that no matter what hell can throw at us, we will keep following you in faithfulness and fruitfulness. And so, Lord, we will say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see you. God, please help us not to be distracted with our to-do list and our phones and lunch and everything else, God, that Satan wants to distract us with right now. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus for focus. Lord, we open ourselves up to the word of God this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us interpret your word, to help us know how to obey it, and to give us the will and the strength to actually follow through. And we pray this prayer knowing, Father, that you know the end from the beginning. And, Father, that you are the one who was and is and is to come. And so we look to your future coming with hope, God. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Father, we thank you for Mark and Jennifer Sid and their family. We pray that you would bless them, that your anointing would be on them, that you would give them vision and strength and all that they need as you guide them in their future. Thank you, Lord, for who they are and what they've done in your service here. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law he does meditate day and night. Those words would have been some words that Jesus would have memorized when he was a young man. I memorized them probably around the age of five in Sunday school. And I'll never forget, when I was five years old, this, it, this is how it happened to me. It was a Sunday, much like today, 
Uh, I was enjoying our church family. We had walked across our church parking lot after the service was over to our fellowship building. How many of you guys remember fellowship buildings? Okay. And so we went over to this fellowship building, and we were having lunch, and I was just five. So I was skirting between tables trying to talk people out of their dessert, you know, and they're like swatting me away like a fly, like get out of here. And until finally a, a really nice lady just looked at me, maybe out of frustration more than kindness, and said, do you know where your parents are? I said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it really. Evidently she had. I looked around. I didn't see them. I walked outside. I didn't see them. And that's when I noticed it. The car, I mean. <laughs> the car was gone. It wasn't where we parked it that morning. And, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, I was five, but I could put two and two together. And where did mom and dad go? And I'm not with them. What, they left me? What? Well, <clears throat> a few minutes later, my mom drove back into the parking lot. And when she got out of the car, I was like, you know, um, mom, you know, how could you do this? And she was like, well, where were you? And I was like, no, where were you? And, and, and she was like, it's your fault. And I'm like, you owe me ice cream for breakfast the rest of my life. And she's like, not on your life. And and anyways, we, we got back together, but, but I got left behind. Uh, that has ever happened to you? Another time they left me too. It's like this pattern with my mom and dad. <laughs> this happened in a Kmart one time, and I, thankfully I, was, uh, I went up to the counter and asked them, could you please announce, you know, they're announcing my name over the thing, and I'm like, oh boy. This actually happened to Jesus. No, I want you to notice this. Uh, before we get into it, I want to hold to that thought. This happened to Jesus. Luke 2, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Every year they did the same thing. It was the Israelites' July 4th. It was their Independence Day that they were celebrating every year. They celebrated the Feast of the Passover. How many of you know what the Feast of the Passover is? Some of you remember it. It represented plague number 10 of the plagues that God had put on the people of Egypt. And it was the one, it was the mother of all plagues. I mean, it's the one that broke Pharaoh's back. Because God came in and said, okay, nine out of nine times you've said no to letting my people go. You won't say no this time. And so he sent a death angel. The death angel came and he killed the firstborn of every Egyptian in the land. Now, you remember that in that situation, God had told the Israelites, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill the lamb, sacrifice it, take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts and on the top. And when I see the blood, I will pass over your house. I will not come into your house, and we won't hurt you. And so the Israelites were celebrating. In, in the book of Exodus, God had told Moses to actually make this a statute. They were to do this every single year. Why? Well, did you know that God is very concerned about the next generation? He cares about kids. That's one of the reasons you should care about church, your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. This is what the Lord says in Exodus 12. You see, what's important around here at Crossroads? Children are. Children are. As a matter of fact, last week, 
Pastor Tim in, uh, introduced to you um, Tabby Tahaney as our new children's worship director. And so we're excited because Pastor Tim has a vision for children's ministry and student ministries as we move forward into the future. And so is God. Why does he feel that way? Because it's close to the heart of God. This is what Exodus, remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, you go, why do I need to do this, God? Because it's about your kids. I want you to have a way of teaching your children about me. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to have a meal every year, and you're going to go to it. And this is how you're going to do it. So he gave them instructions. This is how you're going to teach your children. You know, he, he could have made it like a game. He could have said, you know, I'm going to give, I'm going to create a game on PlayStation, and I'm, every year you're going to play this game on PlayStation, and that's how you're going to teach your kids. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to figure this out with a meal. Then your children will ask, what does the ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. So when Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down. To the ground and worshiped. On the original night, you remember what had happened. And so they were to take that. Now, verse 42. Jesus, remember, I got left behind. This happened to Jesus. Verse 42. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. Joseph and Mary left... Jesus stayed behind. Jesus wasn't where he was supposed to be. Or was he? Luke 2 goes on, Because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Have you, you ever lost a child? You ever left a child unintentionally? Intentionally? Three days later, they finally discovered him. They found Jesus. Where? In the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Can you imagine? Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Some translations say, about my father's business. Now, I want you to contrast just for a minute Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Joseph and Mary focused on going. Jesus focused on growing. And I want to talk to you today on the subject, how, should I stay or should I grow? And that's really what this is about. This whole passage is about Jesus and how he grew into a man as a boy. Luke 2.40 says, there the child grew up. He grew healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. The Bible says Jesus grew in four areas. Mentally. Physically, spiritually, and relationally or socially. Now, the word translated grew, I want you to notice these two, these two verses. Some of you say, well, Brad, I'm all grown up. So this is nice that you're talking about growing and all, but shouldn't that be to the youth or to the children? 
I don't know. Know any immature 50-year-olds? Know any immature 60-year-olds? I know a lot of people that are getting older, they're just not getting any better. You see, as you get older, maturity isn't a given. Wisdom is not a given. The Proverbs, writer of Proverbs says, My son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In other words, sometimes your ability to listen affects your future. God told Adam and Eve, actually told Adam, told the guy, he said, listen, man. He said, you can't have this tree, this fruit from this tree. And, and what the Bible doesn't say after that is that it was Adam's responsibility to go then communicate God's word to his wife. So he goes and he tells Eve, God said, I can't eat of it or touch it. Wait a minute, God never said you can't touch it. He just said you can't have it. Now you're adding to God's word. So Eve happens to walk around, and the serpent comes to Eve and, and says, did God really say that? Yeah, he said it. You know what else he said? He said, not only can I not have it, I can't even touch it. Adam didn't communicate too well, and Eve didn't listen too well either. Somewhere, communication. What we have here is a failure to communicate, right? Has ever happened to you? And so these kind of things are not a given because after they messed up and they didn't listen, the whole trajectory of the human race was changed. So why should you listen this morning? I don't know, because maybe it's your future at stake. Sometimes your future depends on how well you listen to God's word and then follow through on it. Would you agree with that? The first word, Jesus grew, is the word oxon. It means to increase or to grow. Focus is on gain. It's what you're gaining from the growth. The second verse I read to you is the, is the Greek word prokopto. It means to lengthen by beating or hammering. It's this blacksmith, and he's got a hammer, and, he, and he's got this iron, and it's just so hot. And he's beating it and beating it, and he's, every time he hits it, it lengthens it. It lengthens it. It lengthens it. The focus is on the pain. Both words translated grew. First word, Jesus grew up. That's about the gain. Second verse, Jesus grew up. It's about the pain. Did you know there is both gain and pain involved in growing up? Would you agree with that? I mean, it's tough, isn't it, parents, when you watch your kids growing up and you watch them as they crawl, but then they want to start to stand up on their own and, you know, they're teetering back and forth and you want to jump in and bail them out painful. It's painful to let them struggle. It's painful to know when to step back and not get involved. Growing is both exhilarating and agonizing. And Mary and Joseph were so focused on leaving, and Jesus was focused on growing. He was focused on growing. Now, I want you to notice what happened. It put separation between Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And that can happen sometimes in your life. When you're growing and you're intent on growing, I remember, I'll never forget, at North Life, when I first became pastor, I said to them, <clears throat> I said, let me tell you something. Uh, th there was a guy, and he was in the crowd, and he stood up. And this is where, you know, 
they plop the pastor in front of the congregation. They just get to like, the questions, right? Go for it. Ask me anything. Social security number, credit card. And so they, this one man stood up and they gave him the mic and he said, well, we don't much like quitters around here. I was like, is that a question? I'm not sure. Okay, a statement. He said, how do we know you're, you're, you're going to be accountable? And I, maybe I was just kind of young and immature. I just looked at him and said, no offense, man, but you're pretty low on the totem pole about my accountability. First of all, I'm accountable to God. Secondly, I'm accountable to my wife. Thirdly, I'm accountable to my children. Fourthly, you start to come into the picture. You see, if a man will lie to God, who do you think you are that he won't lie to you? If a woman will lie to God, who are you? He's going to lie to you, right? And so I remember looking at them, and I remember telling them after he said that, I said, look, I didn't come here to spin my wheels, to get stuck in the mud, to sit on my blessed assurance. I came here to do something for God. And so that's growth. That's growth. And when you have that mentality, when you have that passion, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find that you separate. God puts separation between you and other people in your life, just like Joseph and Mary. They weren't focused on the same thing as Jesus. Jesus wanted to grow. Mary and Joseph just wanted to go. (laughs) Some of you are feeling that way right now. Some of you are here and you just want to grow. Some of you just want to go, wish I'd finish now. It's subtle, isn't it? Oh, it's so subtle. Do you really want to grow in your Christian life or don't you? I saw this happen in my life one time I'll never forget. I remember uh, a young lady was a friend of mine in high school. One night she looked across, we'd gone out to eat, she looked across the dinner table at me and said, you know, lately all you want to talk about is God and your youth group. And, and I remember thinking to myself, boy, we are not going in the same direction. And so I knew that we wouldn't be able to spend as much time together. And, and it wasn't that she was a bad person. It's just that we were going in different directions. She was going that way, and I was growing that way. And so it, it wasn't that I stopped growing. Thankfully, I didn't stop growing. I just started, stopped hanging out with people who weren't growing. See, our daily reality that you and I face every single day is this, status quo versus grow. Every day you wake up, you can kind of maintain things the way they are, or you can try to put effort in and get better. Status quo or grow. Our daily choice is simply this, should I stay or should I grow? Should I just stay the way I am? Should I just keep my family the way it is, even though maybe it's not going too well? Should I just leave it, shove it under the carpet, not worry about it? Should I stay or, I don't know, should I try to grow today? Should I I try to make the changes that God's been speaking to me about? Should I really give the effort? Should I really try to do something and be something in my life? No doubt Joseph and Mary felt frustrated I mean, this whole thing was very inconvenient for them, you know? They got one whole day's journey into the desert and had to turn around and find Jesus. I would have been mad, mad at my son. I would have been like, man, what are you doing? Get with the program. 
But how did Jesus view this? Now, I want you to notice this. Mary and Joseph saw this whole thing as an interruption, and Jesus saw it as an opportunity. An opportunity. Again, this was very inconvenient for mom and dad. They were focused on getting out of there. They'd done their thing, right? They had come to church, gone through the motions, and they were ready to go home. They had come to Jerusalem, gone through the ritual. They were ready to go home and sit in the recliner and watch eagles or ravens? Okay, all right. I don't know. Whoever you like. But Jesus wasn't... He wasn't satisfied with that. For Jesus, this was not just some interruption in his schedule. This was an opportunity. You know why? Jesus didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Nazareth. He was a country boy. And the country boy, when he got the chance to go to the big city with the big lights of Jerusalem, with the big temple, this is where the temple was. This is Jerusalem. This was David's city. He'd been hearing about this place all his 12 years. Well, he took the opportunity. And he said, I'm going to get with the best teachers. I'm going to get in the most important place. And I'm going to ask the best questions. And I'm going to grow. Even at 12. I love to tell kids, age, action speaks louder than age. I like to tell kids that. Action speaks louder than age. Don't you ever let somebody tell you God can't use you because you're young. God can use anybody. One of my professors in school had this great advice. He said, attend great events, read great books, listen to great sermons, visit great places. Every day of your life, if you think God's going to show up, then you get yourself there. Why? Because every opportunity you miss is a time that you've missed growing. See, I heard one pastor say to me, not only are you and I responsible for what we're, we hear when we get to church, it would be interesting if God also holds us responsible for what we missed when we should have been at church and we weren't there. <laughs> God say, remember? August 21st, 2016. Yeah, man, I remember that, man. We went to the lake. It was awesome. God's like, yeah, well, there were a few things I had for you that day. You missed them because you didn't show up, and I did. And I wanted to tell you this, but you weren't there. And so it wasn't the same. I didn't get to tell you. And so this didn't change in your life. And I didn't get to bless you the way I wanted to bless you. In fact, what do we call a missed opportunity? A mistake. A miss. Take. It's a time when we miss the take. It's like the Olympic, United States Women Olympics team this week. They had to requalify for one of the races because they missed the baton passing to one another. They tried to pass the baton and they dropped it. A mistake. A, they missed the take. One of them tried to take it and missed. Well, Jesus was not going to miss his take here in this situation. He took his time. He wanted to take the opportunity to learn and grow. I like what Rick Warren says. He says, vision isn't the ability to predict the future, but seeing opportunities in your current circumstances. So what is that thing in your life right now that God 
that God is trying to show you and all you can see is this big, fat interruption and inconvenience and God's trying to say to you, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. I can't give it to you any more than on a silver platter. Here you go. Now it's in your court. What is that thing? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. What is that thing? And God is trying to say to you, this is an opportunity for you to grow. And all you can see is, this is an opportunity for me to go. (laughs) I just want to get out of this thing. You want to get out of it, and God says, I want to get you through it. To get to it, you're going to have to go through it. Now think about this. If Jesus had to grow, what does that say about us? If Jesus had to grow, then we must grow. Don't you think so? If the sinless, perfect Son of God decided it was a good thing to grow, then we should do that. In fact, isn't that the whole point of Christianity? To grow? I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we're learning and following Jesus. We're we're learning to be more like him. Notice what Paul said. So all of us who have had that veil removed, I was blind, but now I see. We've had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. See, you're sitting there right now, and you're listening, but there's also something happening in you, and that's called changing. You're not so much changing yourself this morning as you sit there, you're being changed. As you hear the word of God, as you believe the word of God, as you get a handle on the word of God and you understand it, God is changing you now into the image of Christ. That's why it's key to be here on Sundays. That's why it's important to hear God's word and let it get into your life. The disciple, Luke said, is not above his master, but everyone when he is perfected shall be as his master. If 12-year-old Jesus thought it's important to humble himself and sit, it blows my mind, to sit and ask questions to the people he created, maybe it's a good idea for you and I to do the same. Maybe it's good for us to grow. As a matter of fact, I tell people, once you become a Christian, uh, there's not a whole lot of things you got to start doing. There's really only one thing you need to do. Like when you become a Christian, uh, you don't have to grow a beard and start wearing sandals like Jesus, you know. When you become a Christian, you don't have to uh, give up TV and live like the Amish. I just tell people, there's one thing you need to do now that you're a Christian, and that is G-R-O-W. Grow. You just got to grow. Be faithful. Again, notice the focus. Mary focused on blaming Jesus on becoming. His parents, verse 48 says, didn't know what to think, son. His mother said to him, why have you done this to us? In other words, it's your fault. Can you hear that in her sentence? (laughs) It's your fault, 12-year-old Jesus. It's your fault. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why didn't you need to search? He asked, very innocent response. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Mary's focus is on finding fault. Jesus' focus is on the father. The father. Now, let me ask you a question. Which is a more productive question, 
in a frustrating situation. You know, when you're in a situation, you're frustrated. What's a more productive question? Who's at fault? Or who is my father? Who is my heavenly father? There are two different kinds of questions. In every situation, the best thing that you can focus on is not who can I blame, it's who can I become. In my frustration, in my difficulty, as this problem is smacking me in the face, I'm not going to focus on who can I blame, I'm going to focus on who can I become. Life is about becoming. The Christian life is about becoming like Jesus. And that's what it's about. It's about growing. Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. He belonged to the Father, and so he had security. See, it isn't your earthly parents that really ultimately give you your identity. It's your heavenly Father. I like what Crawford Lawrence says. He says, when we're born, we look like our parents. When we die, we look like our decisions. <laughs> How are you looking these days? <laughs> Some of you are like, good, Brad. I'm looking good. Some of you are like, I don't know, not so good, maybe. Not so, not so what I thought. I want you to see the beauty and the symbolism of Jesus Christ in this passage. And I'm going to begin to close with this. Very simple. There Jesus is. Remember, this whole Passover deal, the whole reason they got into Jerusalem in the first place was the Passover feast. Remember, they had to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, take the blood, put the blood on the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over when he saw the blood. There Jesus is, sitting in the temple. John the Baptist, do you know what he called Jesus? The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There Jesus is. There Jesus, the Lamb of God is, sitting in the temple. And Mary, his mother, is blaming him. She's looking at the Lamb, and she's blaming him. She says, how could you do this to us, little Lamb? Don't you know how frustrated we've been? Don't you understand we were looking for you? And Jesus basically looks back to her and says, Well, Mom, it's not my fault, but I am the lamb, so I'll go ahead and I'll take your blame. Whoa. The lamb of God. Mary is blaming him before he even goes to the cross. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did when he went to the cross? He took our blame. All the unfair junk that we put on him, he took it. All your hang-ups, all your addictions, all my hang-ups, all my addictions, all these things Jesus took upon himself and the Lamb of God is right there. And Mary's like, how could you do this to me? And Jesus is like, you don't understand. I'm going to do it for you. I'll take your blame and I'm going to give you my blood. You see, that Passover feast they would celebrate every year was really just foreshadowing that once and for all sacrifice that Jesus would give upon the cross for our sins he would die once and he would never have to die again. 
Three days later, he would come back to life. And God forever, ever, ever from that point, when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, he says, fine, I'll take your blame, and in exchange, I'll give you the blood of my son. I'll cover you with the blood, and every time I look at you, I'll see you with the blood. And I'll consider you blameless. And I'll pass over. Wow. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world at 12 years old was already accepting the blame of humanity. By the way, what, what have you been blaming God for lately? Anything happening in your life you don't like, you've been blaming Him for? Jesus says, That's cool. I already took that blame when I went to the cross. So, because Jesus took the blame, I don't need to blame anymore. I, I, you know, because God would not let, let Jesus off the cross, you and I can let people off the hook a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe we don't have to blame. You'll never blame your way to a better life, by the way. You know, has any situation that you've ever been in, you're like, you know, it really got a lot better when I started blaming that was, yeah, that's when it took a, a turn for the good. Yeah, that was good. No, no. That's not how it works, is it? We don't get better by blaming. We get better by becoming who God wants us to be. Are you becoming who God wants you to be? The only way to do that, as Mary showed us, is through Christ. Even if you have to blame and come to him, you come to him. And Jesus says, I'll receive it. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't give you cancer. I didn't, I didn't make you miss your mortgage payment. I didn't make you where you couldn't get along with your spouse. I, I didn't do that to you. But I'll take the blame, and I'll give you my blood. And I will love you forever. How can you pass up that deal? Who else in your life loves you like that? Nobody. Nobody. There's only one that loves you like that, and that's Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a minute?